I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Hey, y'all. Before we start today's episode, I just want to give a quick content warning that there is some talk of violence in this episode, specifically uh, violence perpetrated against women and feminine presenting folks. So if that is something that triggers you or just something that you don't want to listen to, um, I'm going to put those timestamps in the show notes so that you can skip over them. Also, this week's episode was a little bit longer than usual because we decided to have four guests instead of three. Um, So there's a little bit more content than there typically is. So I decided to split it into two episodes. So um, the episode that you're going to be listening to today is going to be more about the experiences of the people themselves um, in regards to gender and the episode that will be airing next week is going to be more about how to talk to kids about gender So thanks for bearing with us on that, and I hope you enjoy. All right. So for today's theme, we are talking about gender. Um, This this month, we're talking about gender, and today, we're just going to talk about gender in general. And next week, we're going to be talking a little bit about the nitty-gritty of gender roles. So um, today with me, I have some wonderful guests I'm going to invite to introduce themselves. Um, We're going to do our name, our pronouns, our uh, location, and what your connection with kids is. So I guess we could start with uh, Karen. Hi, I'm Karen Foley. Um, My pronouns are uh, she and her. Um, I live in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania, kind of the Scranton Poconos area, if anyone's familiar with that. And um, my connection with kids is twofold. I'm a parent of a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. Um, but I also am in uh, private practice. I'm a licensed marriage couple, family therapist, um, and have been working with um, uh, children, adolescents, families um, who are um, trans identified and dealing with um, transitioning and, and supporting those families in that way for probably close to 10 years now. That's awesome. So I'm Jonathan Branfman, he, him, his. I teach gender studies and film studies at William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And my most direct connection with kids is I recently worked with a friend to publish an LGBT children's book called UBU, The Kid's Guide to Gender, Sexuality, and Family, which covers everything from sex versus gender identity up to privilege, allyship, and intersectionality. Uh, And that project grew out of both my work teaching college students, but also my experience working with kids at a Jewish summer camp in the Poconos area for many years. Hi, everyone. My name is Simone Kolish. They, them pronouns. I'm an agender person living here in Brooklyn, New York. I have three children who are 13, 10, and 5, and I am pregnant with my wife's uh, embryo in a reciprocal in vitro fertilization procedure, and I'm due in a couple of months. I am also a professor, uh, a visiting assistant professor of sociology at Farmingdale State College on Long Island, and I teach widely in sociology with a focus on gender and sexuality. And so my actual entire dissertation and forthcoming book is on um, cisgender women's and LGBTQ people's experiences with everyday violence, such as catcalling, Mm. aggression, harassment, stalking, and rape. Uh, And one of my children has expressed for the last 
about three, four years that she's transgender. Uh, and the five-year-old is none of the above. And the 13-year-old has sort of for now settled on being a cisgender boy. And it's always for now, isn't it? Yes, because it's, <laughs> you, you sort of have to check in with them periodically. Yeah. I'm Lindsay, or Lindsay, you can call me Linz, Amer. I use they, them pronouns. I am originally from New York City, and I make children's media. That's awesome. Um, and I'm just curious, uh, can you tell tell us a little bit about how you got into making kids' videos? Because that's a very niche thing. I mean, I say, like, I do the same thing, but I'm curious. No, it was definitely an interesting journey getting to it. So um, originally, just kind of like from my background, my mom is a um, music teacher and uh, I guess entrepreneur for Music Together. I, I teach Music Together classes, actually. I'm sorry, that's my dog in the background. Um, <laughs> we have See, we have two guests today. <laughs> right. Um, this is Georgie. Um, but yes, and she's making me play fetch with her while I do this podcast. I yeah, I mean, we do what we have to do as, as regular parents, as pet parents. Right? Yes. Um, but yeah, oh, so so my my journey into making children's media. She was she's also an actress and like a performer. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. So she was in acting school when I was a young kid. So I was kind of grew up around performance and theater. Um. And I was like a big theater geek when I was a kid. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And then I went off to undergrad at I went to um, I went to Northwestern for my undergrad degree and uh, was doing like the theater thing there. And they have a really strong um, program in theater for young audiences. So I kind of, I kind of fell into that and, and just kind of fell in love with work for kids um, and storytelling for young people. I think, uh, yeah, really having that kind of like groundwork in like theater and performance and storytelling. Um, and it was all kind of at the same time that I was, you know, in college and coming out and, getting my first girlfriend and uh, declaring a gender studies minor. And I, um, I kind of discovered um, queer storytelling while I was kind of exploring theater for young audiences. And so I started kind of bringing those two worlds together um, while I was in undergrad. And then when I was in grad school, I was kind of like figuring out what my individual practice might look like and what I wanted my work to be. And I, just kind of started tinkering around with queer storytelling for kids and figuring out like what my voice looked like in that thing that doesn't really exist or it didn't at the time. And I just kind of like clicked into the idea of like, oh, like there isn't really like a resource for kids to like define these words, talk about these experiences, um, talking even like not even about queerness, about social justice in a way that like is accessible for kids. And I just kind of I saw that space for it. And I kind of looked at my skill sets and said, hey, this is like a thing I can definitely do. And um, I was in London when I was in grad school. So I came back to the States and like just kind of gathered up like some friends and started talking about this like web series I wanted to do and just kind of started doing it and then it just took off and now we're here many years later and it's like become kind of my life. On this podcast, we talk a lot about, um, you know, questions that are, or topics that maybe kids ask you things about that you're not always prepared 
to answer. Um, and so I'm curious if there was ever a time, this could be gender related or not, that a kid asked you a question that you were not prepared to answer. I think the more emotional question was when my daughter started writing, she writes to me in her diary, like questions that she wants to explore. Uh, and uh, at like seven, she sort of wrote like, why do I have to face harassment? And when will it stop? And how do you deal with harassment? And when will it stop? And it was really heartbreaking because it's not going to stop. Um, but it's about creating sort of coping mechanisms and sort of some resilience in us and our children. So I had to sort of be like, there are no clear answers there. I guess it's about how you react to uh, these experiences, but it's really hard to explain resilience to a seven-year-old. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll chime in and, you know, as a, as a parent, there's always a lot of, I think, questions you get that are easily answered. And then I think there's a lot of questions that you get and you're kind of like standing there like, Oh, where are we going to go with this? And, um, so I've learned, you know, over the years, uh, you know, two things. One, I always ask, um, why, why do you want, why do you want to know that? Why, why are you asking that? Why do you want to know that? And then I wait for that answer um, to kind of base, like, how am I going to, how am I going to, you know, kind of direct my answer to that question? And then I'll give a little bit and then I'll say, especially when they were younger, I'll say, do you want to know more? Mm. Um, and they'll either say yes, or they'll be like, no, I'm good. Um, and um, that seems to have worked well. I, I like the more emotional questions. I like the more like, you know, you know, why, why am I like this? Or, you know, having a child who's also trans, you know, why, why, why do I have to put up with this? Why, why, why can't I just be like, you know, why do I have to deal with what I have to deal with in school and things like this and have those conversations? I get tripped up on things like what are tampons for? And, you know, like things like that. I'm like, hmm, why do you want to know that? And would you like to know more about that? And it's weird how some parents and some people are like, hmm, I'll take the more heavy ones and here, someone else deal with the, you know, yeah. But not so. I don't know. Yeah, no, I love what you said about sort of like inquiring, like asking, answering a question with a question. We, I, um, I was recently recording an episode about how to talk to kids about sex. And that was one of the, the, the things that we said is making sure that you know what the question is. They might just have a, a specific mm -hmm. question or they want me to basic, a, a basic definition, but usually they don't, you know, they don't want to sit and listen to you talk about every, you know, every single thing. And also I think, in addition to that, I will say something that we talk about a lot is saying it's okay. Like if you get flustered, saying it's okay to um, say, hey, I don't know, or I need a minute. You know what? Can I'm going to think about that and I'm going to get back to you. And then it shows that like you're taking the time to really care about get, you know, giving a good answer and thinking about it. But I think as adults, sometimes we feel like we need to like have all the answers, which we definitely don't. <laughs> and it's invulnerable. You know, it's important to sometimes be vulnerable and say, you know what? I don't know. Uh, let's, I'm going to think about that and get back to you. But anyway, John, Jonathan, do you have anything to add? To that? Uh, yes. I think the concern of not knowing what to say was what motivated me to write the children's book because I don't have mm. children yet, although I do have a cat, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, sometimes she and I talk about these things, but <laughs> I think in, in the future, you know, I want to be able to explain to my children 
gender and sexual diversity and allyship. And I don't want to have to improvise those conversations. And so I wanted this book available to others, but also to myself one day to have a resource I could just read out of instead of needing to improvise it on the spot. Um, And then I guess my other answer in terms of when children ask about sexuality, I've sometimes struggled with how to answer those questions in a destigmatizing way while still honoring the limitations of whatever educational setting I'm in. Like mm. not too long ago, I was teaching sixth grade Hebrew school and you know a student kind of came up to the front and was giggling and said, what's a dildo? And you know, I, I tried to uh, answer in a way that respected the context by saying, it's completely normal to wonder about those things, but your parents probably wouldn't be happy if you came home from Hebrew school with that answer. Um, and so I encourage you to seek that information from reputable sources online. And here's how you identify reputable sources, mm-hmm. but we're not going to talk any further about it right now. Yeah, it's. I think that's a tricky thing. And because I have a lot of guests on from different facets of, right, I have like professionals, like, you know, therapists and things like that. I have educators and nannies and parents. And I think it's tricky, like for me as a nanny also, and I have a background in education, right? Um, one time... <laughs> Uh, there was a little girl who I, I always say that I don't know if I was, I was reading the very hungry caterpillar to the class and I don't know if I was doing a very good job or a very bad job, but she decided to masturbate in the middle of my rendition of the very hungry caterpillar. I was substitute teaching also. Um, so I had like no context and I was just like, Oh, we don't do that at school. Um, and I had like, you know, <laughs> like no idea. Uh, what to, and you know, I ended up th- later talking with the teacher just to make sure that, cause she would know, right. If it was a pattern and if, cause sometimes it can be uh, about abuse and things like that. And, you know, it, it turned out it was okay, but I didn't want to leave that in a note on the desk. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are definitely, um, sometimes where you struggle when you're in, ed- I feel like, especially as an educator, um, and also as a nanny, where there are sometimes where I'm like, ooh, I don't know if your parents want to handle this conversation. I don't know what your parents' values are about this thing. Um, and I don't, it's hard for me sometimes to give answers with, I have to make sure, am I putting my values in this answer? Or is this kind of a textbook answer, you know? Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. I think that can be tricky. And should I, like you were saying, like, is it appropriate for me to even be giving the answer? Um you know, because, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if that's that's what they expect us to learn at Hebrew school that day. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing. I always love a- asking that question because I feel like there's so many. I mean, I feel like the real answer is, like, all the time. All the time kids are asking <laughs> questions and we're just like, uh, what? I don't. I, I remember <laughs> one time I was babysitting when I was younger. I was, like, mothers helping. So the parents were still there and I was just sort of entertaining the kids so the parents could be people. And... Um, <laughs> And one of the kids turned to the, because it was a cousin, it was the kid and their cousin, and the cousin turned to the the mother of the kids I was with and said, you know, Auntie, what's a condom? Mm. And she was like, uh, a condo is a place where our people live. And just like completely ignored the question. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, it's the answer. Because it was like totally unprepared for that. But she had a big brother. So I have a feeling that's where that came from. Um, but anyway, so, uh, I'm also curious. I know, I actually think we talked a little bit about this in our intro, but if there's anything else anyone has to add about, um, you talked a little bit about like all of your sort of personal connection with the topic of gender. I'm curious, like what, what sparked your interest in 
you know, in, you know, for example, right, Jonathan, like your book or Karen working, working with that population or what sparked your interest in the topic? I feel like I was thrust into the, the topic because of having a child who identified very early um, as uh, transgender. So for, for me, it was um, just grabbing all the resources and all the education um, and um, learning everything that I could immediately and as fast as I could um, to support my child in an area that had nothing um, no therapists, no uh, P flag, no um, uh, no groups. We had to travel two hours to find, you know, someone to support us as a family. And so from that moment on, it was just everything, um, you know, gender 101, everything. And so it just naturally just yeah. moved right into my practice and how to support everyone else in our community. Um, and how to bring more education into our community um, and has been like that ever since. Um, and, you know, it's been wonderful for me, for me to bring that education. And I think it's been wonderful for our family because now my husband and I run a support group for parents. Um, we started a team. They don't like calling it a support group. They call it a gender team so they can openly express their gender. Um, and we do a, a conference every year for medical students to educate them before they graduate and to educate the community every year, health professionals and everything. So, um, you know, thanks to, you know, one child who at a young age said, I'm not who I'm supposed to be or who I was born as, you know, it kind of sparked an entire kind of movement in this area to bring that education to this area. So that's awesome. I feel like I was thrust into it, but I'm grateful because you know, it's brought a world of education to me. Yeah. To help others too. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for all the work you do. You're awesome. <laughs> You're awesome too. I guess in terms of my own experience, I was lucky to grow up with very progressive uh, feminist parents and also in a household where my mom was the breadwinner and my dad, you know, did a great job with cooking and taking us to school. Um, and so I was always aware that mm -hmm. dominant expectations didn't have to match reality and that breaking those expectations could make you happy. And uh, also, I don't know if gender dysphoria is quite the word for what I experienced because I, I do identify as a, I, as a boy then and now as a man, but I definitely have always identified as a feminine boy or man. And so you know, really, as soon as I could talk, or as soon as I could go to preschool, I was aware that the expectations on me were not how I really felt, and that the things I wanted to do, or how I wanted to talk, or even like requesting pink construction paper during preschool art projects, that that people were reacting badly to this, and that those bad reactions were not valid, and that I wanted to go and do something about it. And so much later in life, in college, it was actually a friend of mine who said, you know, John, you love to talk about these things, you should get paid to teach about about them. Why don't you go be a gender studies professor? And I was like, aha, that makes a lot of sense. And here we are. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's basically what happened to me too. And my wife was like, stop talking to me about this. Go talk to other people about it. And I was like, fine, I'm going to make a podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Someone, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, I was going to be a physician and was a pre-med at NYU and I didn't know anything about trans people or gender nonconformity. I was raised in a pretty strict Russian Armenian uh, household um, here in Brooklyn uh, after we came here. Um, 
from another country. And so I met a lot of new people during college, which is, which is something I tell my students now, because that's how you get on that journey of realizing there are options and terminology and like ways of being that you may not have considered. And so at that point, before I had children, I started to realize that I, I, you know, I can't really finish a sentence uh, of like, I'm a woman because, and so then I started to explore my agender identity, like for a couple of years privately, and then more, more openly. So in, in eventually, I sort of, you know, I got my master's and then my PhD in sociology. And so I learned more of the technical side of things, but it was always a personal matter first. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, this is a big question. I, I've never, <laughs> I've, I don't know if I've ever, ever answered it, like gotten a question about gender in that way, which is interesting. Um, I think, I mean, gender is like the first thing you really know about yourself, I think. Um, and it's something that I think has like, been pretty influential in my life in in the way that it is for most people. Um, <laughs> but I think that, like, I, I struggled a lot with my gender and, like, figuring out, like, where I fit. Um, I was, like, I was definitely, like, a huge tomboy kid. Um, was, like, running around, scraping my knee, getting grass stains, like that. <laughs> like, that kind of, like, like, goofy, like, like. I don't know. I, I wanted like a boy's haircut from from like a very young mm-hmm. age, like, um, and my parents were kind of like trying to figure out like how to navigate that in the '90s and like not mm-hmm. really sure. And I would I was misgendered all the time. Like I was just like a super androgynous looking kid, and everyone mm-hmm. thought I was a boy. Um, I think probably because of the haircut. Um, and just like well, the, kids kind of all look the same at that age. Yeah, they. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I was just I was misgendered a lot, and like. I would like go when I was like a little kid and like my mom would take me into the bathroom. Like when she was, especially after like they got divorced and like was a single mom, she like, I like remember like someone yelling at my mom for bringing their like son, her like son who was like too old into the women's bathroom. And also that is a wild, I have a similar memory of, mm-hmm. I was, well not memory, but like a story of when I was like maybe mm-hmm. two or three, like very young. And mm-hmm. my dad, we were at a hockey game and my dad brought me into the men's room and, and the men were like, oh, like I was in there to like check them out or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> like. It's so weird when people get weird about kids being in the bathroom. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, and I mean, I think people are very sensitive about the bathroom anyways. Which <laughs> like, come on, guys. So our next question is, um, what is your earliest memory of, um, of experiencing or being aware of gender? I'll, ju- I'll jump in and say that I don't, I don't, I don't think I realized how, um, how non-conforming maybe I was oddly until I went on the journey with my daughter and then started to look back at pictures. I know it's weird to say non-conforming, but when I look at pictures of my childhood, um, I, um, I really became acutely aware of how I didn't really like, um, I didn't like wearing dresses I was probably more tomboyish in childhood um and never really became acutely mm. aware of it until I went on that gender journey with my with my own child um and so that was a huge eye-opener for me in going back through pictures and and, and saying like 
look at how I like to wear my hair and look at how I chose clothes and look at how I played with toys and what toys I chose and and how some of it was very uh, non-conforming yeah. more so than I ever really paid a lot of attention to um, and and never and 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 though then never really paid attention to it it just didn't cross my mind but now I look at it and realize I for the first time acknowledging that but mm. that's that that's who I was I didn't have I didn't have a working knowledge of it then I didn't have words to describe it then um, it was probably a lot of um, uh, society yeah. at the time it was probably a lot of my own family not having words for things like that at the time just things like that um but just you know as of recently still when i find pictures and and you know even my kids you know looking at it and saying um why was your hair so short did you like your hair short yeah i like my hair short i didn't i didn't have long hair like this then yeah i loved it short then and it wasn't necessarily so much the style then it was just that's how i liked it or <laughs> how come you're always wearing star wars shorts shirts because I, I like that's star awesome wars. i like playing with those things and that's stuff that I liked doing and uh, there's just a lot of other things and now now be more aware of that's the kind of yeah. kid that I was but I didn't have I didn't have words for it like kids today do and it's interesting because sometimes I I I, I wonder but I wonder how things you know sometimes could have yeah. been different if, if there was more conversation or if I had parents who were able to have conversations with me around that it wasn't so binary like your girl wear this or, yeah and but at the same time, I had parents who were like, "Yeah, we put the Star Wars shirt. Like, we don't care." Now we're going yeah. here, and now you have to put the dress on. That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like it, it, that stuff is interesting to me. Yeah. So, I, if, when you say that, I think like, well, I didn't have any. I didn't have a working knowledge. Yeah. Up. I think it's also very interesting that there's this um, this sort of uh, divide between like it's okay. Uh, it's, you know, more socially acceptable for, you know, a cisgender uh, female to be interested in like boyish things and be like a tomboy. Like, it's okay. Oh, you're just a tomboy. And sorry. again, I'm using air quotes that no one can see. Um, <laughs> but uh, then it is for, you know, Jonathan to ask for that pink piece of paper was a big deal. If, if, a, if Karen, if you had asked for a blue right. piece of paper, I don't think anyone would have batted an eye. Right. But, but it's, there's this very interesting, and I think it has a lot to, a lot to say about how society views right. women. If liking and feminine things, if, if liking feminine things like, oh, you exactly. want to like boy things, that's okay. Because being a boy is a thing that you should want to be as opposed to, you know, it's like, I don't know, I could go into a hole. There's my thesis. <laughs> right. No, right. I, I get all that. And I saw all that. I, I will like whenever I asked for like um, I had to play with the 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 toys that neighbors had that they were like I always remember this like Star Wars toys and stuff like that I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. Um, I, I never like if I ever asked for them or wanted them I wasn't allowed to have them they couldn't be mine but I can play with neighbors ones so I always found that to be interesting in retrospect you can play with other kids but you couldn't own them because I well, I don't that obviously meant something if you if you own them. So that was a, always interesting. You can have the black shirt, but. And also I realized that, um, again, sometimes I'm so deep into the, now I'm so deep into the, the terminology and things that I forget. Sometimes I use the term cisgender, which basically um, the easiest, I mean, in sort of layman's terms, 
if you're not trans, you're cis, but basically if you grew, if you were born and they said it's a girl and you still identify as a girl, you're cis. Um, that's my, my easiest way to explain that. Does anyone else have something to share for earliest, earliest memory of gender? Well, like the pink construction paper in preschool example, there were so many moments between the ages of like two and five when I asked for things uh, or expressed interest in things that, that I kind of got slapped down for because they were, quote, for girls. You know, asking to look at somebody's lipstick or asking for nail polish, asking for the pink construction paper, asking to buy a Barbie. Um, and thankfully, it was never my family that slapped me down, although I think they found more diplomatic ways to divert me, sometimes just by saying, like, that's okay to want that, but kids in school would treat you really badly if you brought a Barbie. Um, mm. And even while talking about these experiences, though, I want to be careful not to conflate um, the ways that gender norms limit men with the ways they harm and limit women. You know, something I really valued when I got to gender studies classes in college was understanding that um, even though masculine norms can harm and limit men, when we obey those norms and accept that pain, we get privilege in return, like better treatment or safety. Uh, whereas women, when even when they are conforming to feminine norms, often experience, like um, we spoke about, harassment or violence. And so something I try to focus on in the present when I'm teaching about masculinities with college students is to say, we can take seriously how gender norms also harm men, as long as we also address how men receive privilege in return in a way that women don't. Yeah, that's a really good point. I remember that as a child, I believed everything my mother said. And uh, up until the age of 11, you know, she was my role model. And so I really bought into the kinds of binary thinking that um, they raised me with. I knew that my brother was being treated differently and allowed a lot of freedom that I was not. I knew that um, when he molested me, they would not believe me. And I learned that um, some genders are not believed when expressing their truths about sexual um, behavior. I knew when I showed up to the United States that um, he was allowed to go outside and that I wasn't. <laughs> there was a curfew for me and not for him. So I think it was <clears throat> relational that I learned gender in relationship to folks who had more freedom and mobility than I did. And I was always, you know, uh, really confused about that. Cause I think we as people just want to mm. know why we can't do the thing that somebody else is doing and you don't have an understanding <laughs> of the patriarchy just yet. <laughs> and you just feel it's unfair and unjust of your parents. I remember, um, like very distinctly this, like one experience that I had at like a day camp that I went to. And, um, I, th I think that I'd been like going for like a couple weeks that summer or something as like a Jewish day camp up in like Westchester. Mm -hmm. And I, we would like take swim lessons before lunch every day. Mm -hmm. And it was like a new week. We had like new counselors that week or something. And so like, I had always like gone off to the right with the girls to like go to the girls changing room and the boys would go off to the left. And so I started, I started walking with the girls and then the male counselor was like, Hey, you, what are you doing? Come with us. And so I was like, okay, you're the grown up. You, you know what's right, I guess. But I mean, like I've been doing this for weeks, but like, I guess you're right. Cause you're the adult in this situation. So I followed the boys and like, I went to the boys changing room and I was like, this ain't right. So I like very, very quickly changed into my bathing suit and like turned around and the counselor looked at me and was like, oh, good God. This is <laughs> <laughs> and like, 
And like, I don't even have time to put my like flip flops on. I like, he like grabs me and like books it with me over to the girls changing room. And I, I remember like at the end of that day, like going up to my mom and being like, Hey, I want to grow out my hair and I want to pierce my ears. And wow. like, yeah. And so like, I don't think I like really like fully came back into like a more like masculine, like, like, like more like comfortable gender expression for me until like college. It took me what, 15, 20 years to like get to like back to the gender expression that I like had when I was a kid, when I like just like inherently knew who I was and what I wanted before like society told me I should be something different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, it's about time for some announcements. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radchild Podcast. Um, I have a couple of exciting announcements. I actually have a sort of pre-announcement announcement. Um, I have some really exciting news that I'm going to be able to announce uh, within the next week or two, so stay tuned for that. And um, we also have this weekend coming up on the 8th, uh, February 8th, a, we're hosting a local clothing swap for kids' clothes and toys. Uh, it's going to be really fun here in Montreal. It's going to be at the Unitarian Church of Montreal, and it's from 10 to 3. If you'd like more info about that, you can go on uh, our Facebook page and find out about that there. Uh, other than that, it's just the usual stuff. You can follow us at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can do that um, by email at radchildpodcast at gmail.com or on the website at www.radchildpodcast.com uh, on the contact section. Uh, if you would like to be a guest, that's also in the contact section as well. There's a form for you to fill out. It's not too long. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, generally a little bit about you and what your interests are, what you'd like to talk about on the show. Um, if you would like to support us like the lovely Emma and Kai, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash fragchildpodcast. Um, there's all sorts of really cool rewards like bloopers, um, care packages, kids books, kids book recommendations, um, all sorts of cool stuff like that. So definitely take a look at that. Um, all right, now back to the show. Sort of going off of that, I'm going to skip around a little bit because we've been talking a lot about the binary, um, <coughs> the gender binary, excuse me. And I'm curious how you would explain, and so I just gave a good example of that, but if you want to add anything to like how we could explain the gender binary to kids, because I think even some adults don't, maybe aren't familiar with that terminology or it's kind of a tricky concept. So how do we break that down for kids? Well, thinking of uh, the children's book, many chapters of the children's book start by acknowledging a social myth like what Simone described as the uninformed world beyond the home and then challenging that myth. So the opening page says people have lots of funny ideas about boys, girls, and love. Like maybe you've heard that everyone has to be a boy or a girl, you know, or that everyone who's born as a boy is going to grow up to be a man and fall in love with a woman and vice versa. And then the chapter kind of walks them through all these myths that kids have already heard by the age mm -hmm. of five or six. And then says, you know, good news. None of these things are true. Um, people are way more diverse and that's great news. You can be whoever you want. Other people can be whoever they want. And now we're going to talk more in depth about it. Mm -hmm. So I suppose the strategy there is to acknowledge what kids have already heard, start with what's familiar to them, and then explain that this familiar idea isn't true and why that is good news. 
Yeah, I like that as opposed to saying you're wrong. Everything you know is wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because then there, because there's sex, there's gender, there's sexuality. So like usually, yeah, it's we can a, throw that one in there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like it's usually a conversation about the difference between gender and sexuality because those are the things that like grownups get wrong, and but for gender and sex. I usually talk about sex being like about like our bodies and um, the I did a video on it like a while ago. I did like a what are our bodies like episode of queer kid stuff and um, I was just kind of like talking about like some people have like like a like have like different kinds of like parts for their bodies and like our bodies are our private things and like we're and it's not necessarily like connected to gender and I usually talk about gender as like pronouns um just because it's uh, gender is obviously a lot more complicated than pronouns but like it's i think having the words like he him she her they them uh is is helpful for kids to like grasp because they're words that they use every day um and it also like helps them like signify their own gender and i think it gives them like a power to like say like these are my pronouns and I think that that's like a really cool moment. And I've definitely seen moments at like live performances. There's like, there's a, I, I have like a little song about gender. And before I do that, I'll usually like ask if anyone in the room wants to like share their pronouns. And I've, I don't know if like, maybe like kids like don't always like understand what I'm asking, but like sometimes I've gotten like, I've gotten like they, them and like, and like, and like um, folks who like seem like they might be using like trans pronouns, um, pronouns, they, that they might be trans or are using pronouns that like don't match like maybe how they're expressing themselves. It's very interesting kind of like what kinds of pronouns kids will come up with. And I've seen parents be like shocked by like the pronouns that their kids like talk about. And then I, and then I make everyone shout all their pronouns all at the same time. So everyone I love that. freaked out. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like interesting to kind of like see that happen and like Maybe like, oh, maybe like that family is going to have a, conver- a like longer conversation about what pronouns are and like see like if maybe like they didn't understand what I was talking about or like if actually like those are the pronouns they want to use and they just haven't expressed it in that way yet. And yeah. that, yeah, it's it's very interesting um, when we're t- you're kind of like using pronouns as like a way into gender and mm-hmm. then you can talk about gender expression and the the difference between that and gender identity and like all those oh man you, that's my next question <laughs> yeah and then just getting into like what like that like umbrella term of gender like and like yeah dissect that as well with kids and i and you definitely can um but yeah i think that for me like the difference between gender and sex isn't like actually a very large conversation it's like sex is about our bodies <laughs> gender is about how we feel and and like, yeah. how we express our gender and like with using words and using clothes mm-hmm. and things like that that's how i yeah. get to it usually i love i love have you i'm sure you've seen the gender bred person oh yeah 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 I, I love that. I love visual aids for things like that. Mm-hmm. And also even just the other day, the the mother that I'm currently working with is in nursing school 
And mm-hmm. she was reading an article. They had to read an article, which I was like, Canada is great. They had to read an article about how to be more inclusive of LGBTQIA mm-hmm. folks as practitioners. And so <laughs> she's so funny. She's sitting in the other room working and she's texting me like, what's the difference between queer and a gay? And I was like, I have to like come in and we have to have a conversation yeah, about this. Like I can't, this is not a text. Not um, a text but it was so funny. I, I had brought this like black piece of paper and chalk for the kids to draw on. Mm-hmm. And I literally took it out and drew the umbrella and was oh, like, nice. and all of these words are, it was so funny. I ended up using it as a teaching tool I for love mom. A good, I love a good metaphor. Follow up. Um, having sat with, you know, just a few adolescents that have come in, few meeting in our area who have, who have said, I don't, I don't feel like this. And I don't feel like this. You can't see my hands, but you know, one end of the spectrum or the other end of the spectrum you know, I feel like I'm somewhere in between. Sometimes I feel like I'm not anywhere on that spectrum. And then they look at me and they, they're waiting for someone to say, is that okay? Because I think they have parents who are saying you have to pick one or the other. You can't be somewhere in between a spectrum. And so to have someone kind of validate and say like, exactly who you are is who you are. And that's okay. You don't have to pick here or here. You can be anywhere you need to be and however you express or however you identify is just fine. And there's always that like kind of sinking into the couch where they feel like the sense of relief of, Oh, I can be like that. Not permission, but just this relief of, Oh, I don't have to check that box. And I don't have to check that box. I'm like, you don't have to check any boxes. There's, you don't have to put a label on anything. You just be, what's your name? And they say their name. That's all you need to be. Don't worry about anything else. And there's this sense of like, okay, okay. And, and just a sigh of relief around that because a lot of them are, are thinking I have to check here, M or F or somewhere, a box somewhere in the middle. And it's not even, it's not even that. And I've had, a, I've sat with just a few kids where they feel like there has to be a box to check. And a relief in knowing I don't, I don't have to, I just, I just need to be name, insert name here. That's who I am. And I get to define who that is. And that's okay. While we're on this topic of explaining gender diversity to kids, I want to address a common form of pushback I've encountered, where people will say to me, um, isn't it confusing for children to learn these topics? So in, in, in these moments, I hear some people justifying their gender policing or narrow thinking in the name of supposedly caring for student, for kids and protecting kids from, quote, confusion. Uh, well, first of all, for the many kids who are gender diverse in some way, it is confusing to be pressed into a binary. <laughs> but I also love to point out literally everything is confusing the first time you encounter it. The first time you took algebra, it was confusing. Maybe it still is. That doesn't mean algebra is harmful to you. (laughs) In fact, that confusion signals that you are at the beginning of broadening your world in some way and learning new information and new skills. Um, And so maybe for folks listening, the next time somebody says to you, isn't it confusing to talk to children about these issues? Um, You could say, first of all, just because it's confusing to you doesn't mean it's confusing to children. And second, um, even if children feel some confusion at the start of any new subject, whether they're learning about gravity or gender, 
um, that is actually just the start of a positive learning journey. Yeah, and I, I think I've told this story probably too many times, but um, one time I was working with a three-year-old and uh, he was young enough that I still helped him go to the bathroom and I was in the bathroom with him. And he, you know, like three-year-olds just say whatever's on their mind. And he went, <laughs> I have a penis. Do you have a penis? It's like, this is one of those conversations that I was like, how much do I say? I just started working here a week ago. Uh, and I was like, no, no, I don't. And um, I was like, I, I have a vulva. And he goes, oh. And I was like, yeah, some boys have vulvas or some boys have penises and some girls have vulvas and some girls have penises. And he was like, okay, can we go play trains now? And that was it. And every so often he would check in, like every week or two, he'd be like, so you're a boy, but you have a vagina. And I'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, Okay. Like just check that that was still true. But like it was not it was not at all confusing. And then actually the follow-up story to that is um one day we were on an, the elevator going to the subway. Um and we were in the elevator with uh another person. I was taking him to go meet my cats. He loved cats, but his parents were allergic and I had some at my apartment, so I asked, "Oh, can we go visit the cats and play with them?" And he, and he had just become very, very interested in the fact that animals also have genitals. So he was asking me, do your cats have penises? And like the woman next to me was kind of like, ha ha, we made eye contact like, oh, kids, you know. And I, was, I, and I said, you know, no, Nimbus has a penis and Chloe has a vagina. And the woman decided to enter the conversation and said, because she's a girl. And Timothy goes, no, girls can have penises or vaginas and got into a full-fledged fight with this woman. I just watched it happen as this three-year-old was like, no, you're wrong. And then we left the elevator and he looks at me and goes, that lady was confused. And I was just like, <laughs> that's exactly right. it. It was confusing. Like it wasn't confusing to him at all. I told him one time, confirmed it a couple of other times when he asked, and then he was ready to have, you know, to stand yeah. up for his uh, his understanding of that, um, so I, I yeah I don't think it's confusing or if and like you were saying even if it is a little confusing everything's confusing when you don't know what it is. I want to um, just mention that when I teach them about the gender binary, we have to talk about the sex binary and the construction around mm -hmm. bodies and biology. And kids are very interested in what do you have and what do I have? Uh, and uh, as parents, we walk around um, very openly here naked and, you know, uh, others disagree with that. But I think it's always been really important to just destigmatize um, bodies and not focus overtly on genitals uh, and not make a, a big deal out of them, but also just very briefly saying what you have isn't what I have. And and even to say that because whatever you have is actually like what a child has, but I'm a grown person. And so everything I have is bigger and different. And you'll get there someday too, just to, to even like change focus a bit about how like bodies change and we grow up, but uh, also to teach them about intersex people um, and intersex children and um, yeah. to say, you know, it's not even that boys and girls can have penises or vaginas. It's that folks have all sorts of bodies and all kinds of genitals. And actually, that's not something you need to, like, check in about when you're outside the house because that's private for some folks. But you can ask me uh, about my body and then you can ask me or your parents, like your other parents, about, you know, what they know about bodies. But it's not... It could be very upsetting to others if you start 
like just wondering about what it is they have. Um, and for for those who might know, uh, you touched on it a little bit, but intersex um, is basically folks who might have um, sex characteristics, um, primary, secondary sex characteristics that don't match up with what traditionally we would call male or female sex characteristics. Um, yeah, so I also wanted to say about all different bodies and things, um, there's a really excellent book. Unfortunately, I'm in Montreal, so it's only out in French right now, but they are coming out with it in, in English. It's called Chez Corps Je T'aime, My uh, Dear Body, I Love You. Um, and it's by Jessica Sanders and Carol Rossetti. And it is a really, really fabulous book about all different kinds of bodies. It includes fat bodies. It mm-hmm. includes, I always love when I see a body with stretch marks. I'm like, yes, stretch marks are a thing that exists. Um, <laughs> Because for some reason, I, I don't know, I've never, not that right, I guess I'm not looking at that many kids' books um, that have naked bodies in them. You know, even books about like sex and bodies and things, I don't often see, mm-hmm. I, I see very similar bodies represented um, oftentimes. So there's lots of different bodies. There's um, lots of uh, different uh, abilities included, races, genders, sizes um, of people. It's a really fabulous book. Um, I'm very excited. I have I have my name on the bookstore for them to call me when it comes out in English because it's really, really wonderful. Um, but anyway, we... Uh, we were talking, Simone, you were talking a little bit about the sex, sex binary as well. And so how um, would we sort of explain to kids the difference between gender and sex? Because I think even like for adults, that's, it's confusing sometimes and we conflate them. So we, you were talking a little bit about this, but um, could we talk a little bit about the difference between how you would explain like the difference between gender identity and gender expression? Um, usually I talk about like how like gender identity is kind of like an internal thing. It's about how you feel. It's about how you maybe like use your words around your gender. And it's a, it's a little bit more of like, it's a little bit more of like a brain thing. Whereas gender expression is how you express yourself. It's about how you Mm -hmm. show your gender. So uh, talking about like your clothes is kind of the easiest way of, and and starting to think about words like masculine, feminine, androgynous. And that's kind of like where that comes into play of like, do you want to paint your nails? Do you want to wear glasses? What kind of colors do you like? Um, And like how you want to like kind of present your gender to the world. And I think that that's the most important part to be like in touch with yourself and like how something makes you feel. And I think it's it's super important to stress that because I think so much about gender at young ages is about exper- experimenting. <clears throat> yeah. And like trying. For sure. I think dress up is like a hugely important thing. Oh, it's thing so for good. And I think that like it's super important that like even if a boy or, like, or a, a <clears throat> someone who like uh, maybe is like AMAB um, is seems to like be expressing themselves masculinely. I think it's important that they like do try on a dress and like maybe they don't like it. Maybe like that doesn't make them feel comfortable. But like I think it's important that they have that experience and like know, like know that they don't like it. You know what I mean? It's like it's like yeah, making totally. it's like making a picky eater like eat their broccoli anyways, and like <laughs> and, <laughs> and like like you need to like have that experience to like know that you actually don't like it, not like 
like feed just by default yeah Yeah. exactly not like feeding into like the narrative of like oh broccoli's gross but like actually like oh hey like maybe like my mom like cooked it with like lemon and like roasted it and it like has like it's yeah maybe yeah right maybe it's a dress with dinosaurs on it and that dress is like the exception or like yeah totally 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 i think it's yeah all about experimentation for me i just wanted to say for folks who may not know that amab is short for assigned male at birth thank you yes so if gender is this overall social idea that certain bodies should act in certain ways. Gender identity is how you view yourself in terms of gender. Do you feel like a boy or a girl or a gender mm-hmm. or gender nonconforming, regardless of the body parts you have? And then uh, gender expression is how you express or convey that inner feeling through your actions or your clothing. So maybe you, your sex is that you were assigned male at birth, and maybe you identify as a transgender girl, and specifically as a transgender tomboy, and you express you know, your trans femininity by still having short hair and enjoying baseball or whatever. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that explanation. That was very concise. There's also really great, I don't know if any of you have ever, have you ever seen the genderbred person before? Yes. I love the genderbred person. It's a, it's a little, um, it's like, uh, like, you know, your traditional gingerbread man, but it's a genderbred person. And it has, it basically is a little graphic that shows you um, sort of like that sex is like what's between your legs and, you know, gender identity is what's in your head, how you feel. And then uh, the your expression is like the outside of your body, how you present and the things you like. Um, I just wanted to mention that the there are like updates on the genderbread person. Um, there's a genderbred yes. person version 2.0. Yes. And then a huge debate is in the deep corners of Tumblr about whether or not the genderbred person version 2.0 is also good enough. So there is just for folks to consider the gender unicorn, which I think goes a lot further in terms of like um, explaining how it's not like sex is just between your legs because if you and I mean I have a degree in biology and so that helps me remember that it's your you know it's your karyotype which is a word for describing whether or not your your chromosomes are xxxy xx0 or whatever uh, there's a huge diversity in terms of chromosomal DNA. Um, there, sex also lives in your internal anatomy as well as your external anatomy mm-hmm. and in its connection to hormones, which have a wide variety of expressions throughout your life. Sex is also something that manifests itself in utero, sometimes and in puberty and in old age differently. Um, and it's actually a combination of all of these things external anatomy and things people assume mean sex like hair and musculature and like other sort of things so to put it between the legs uh, again uh, makes it mm, like it makes it it's a limited way of of thinking about it because it it, it then it's a lot of different things that that actually uh, work together and so the gender unicorn you know gets us beyond that and I appreciate you talking about the gender unicorn and sort of clarifying that like you're right like sex is not just what's between your legs I think that I'm often I often as an educator simplify things um, because I'm working with small people. Um, and I'm glad that you that you brought that up. All right. That's where we're going to end for today. Thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed. And I hope that you're excited for next week's continuation of this episode. All right. Bye-bye.
On September 16, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, the much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to have someone pay him $264 to watch through every episode of Frasier with different special guests, unpacking the deeper themes behind each episode. That baby is me, Tom Zalatnai, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again, right here on the Upford Network. We need to record a new ad for Up for Discussion. What should we tell people? Tell them we're an emotionally honest comedy podcast. Great! What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and try to become better people along the way. And we make poop jokes. So many poop jokes! With tons of awesome guests like Hank Green, Carrie Poppy, and Cecil Baldwin. Yeah, and poop jokes! The Up for Discussion podcast, available on the Upford Network and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah.